Hi everyone, I'm Otto and with me today is Oliver and welcome to the first of our three podcasts where we'll be critically examining the existence of Catharism in medieval Languedoc, which is a region of southern France. So in short, Catharism was said to have been a heretical movement which went against the official teachings of the Catholic Church, having initially emerged in the Balkans around the 12th century and thus having spread to the Languedoc. It's widely been cited as the most intriguing case of heresy of the Middle Ages, specifically because others did not need to be suppressed through both a crusade and an inquisition, nor did Catharism need to be suppressed in this way throughout other areas of Europe. Out of the subsequently many studies on Catharism in the Languedoc, it's only recently that academics, albeit a very small number, have actually doubted Catharism's entire existence, differing so dramatically from the mainstream scholarly narrative, therefore. It's an assessment of this area which we wish to focus this series on. Nonetheless, it should be noted that Catharism does elude much general knowledge, not being covered in the British education system at key stage 5 level and below. To move on to the more pressing topics, therefore, we'd like to kickstart this series with an episode focusing on some general background on the Cathars within the Languedoc, namely in what they believed and how they appealed to people. However, there is a scarcity of primary source material written by the Cathars themselves, with most of our knowledge coming from the Inquisition which persecuted them. Consequently, much of the known background of the Cathars is based on assumption, albeit the sort that's accepted by most experts. Without further preamble though, I turn now to Oliver, We'll begin by discussing their supposed beliefs. Thank you, Otto. Now, there was no one body of Cathars, so when we talk about them as a group, there is always going to be some generalisation. To start with, the Cathars were dualists, which meant that they believed that God had made everything spiritual, but Satan had made everything physical. So, in this way of thinking, everything spiritual is good, but everything material is evil. They believed that the soul was an angelic spirit, stolen from heaven by Satan and imprisoned in physical bodies. They denied the Catholic doctrine of the Incarnation, the belief that God was made flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. The idea that God would join himself to a body was reprehensible to the Cathars, and therefore they taught that although Christ did come to earth, he came only in the appearance of flesh, as a kind of apparition. What follows from this is a denial of the death and resurrection of Christ. If he had no real body, he could not really die, and thus could not really rise again from the dead. And so Catharism struck at the core of Catholic teaching. Now, how then did this affect their religious practice? Well, once one rejects the doctrines of Christ's death and resurrection, it must follow that one rejects the rituals and the institutions of the church. They rejected all seven of the Catholic sacraments and created their own churches with their own rituals. The most significant of these was called the consolamentum, and in order to understand this, we must know that there were two different kinds of Cathars, the perfect and the believers. One had to be a member of the perfect in order to return to God in heaven when one died. Those who were mere believers just returned to different bodies. In order to become a member of the perfect, one had to undergo this rite of the consolamentum. 
and this involved the laying on of hands and the placing of the Gospel of John on the breast of the person undergoing the ritual. One would confess all of one's sins and then receive the kiss of peace. At this point, all one's sins, past, present and future, were forgiven. One's soul was set free from bondage to Satan and reunited with its spirit in heaven. Thank you, Oliver. So why then did many remain mere believers? Well, this is because the perfect had to live very austere lives, rejecting sex and marriage and the eating of animals, animal products, which were the result of animal intercourse, eggs, milk, cheese, etc. And they also had to fast multiple times a year. And so the Cathars lived humbly. Uh, and this did even sometimes go to extremes. Another ritual that, that happened amongst them was called the Endura. It involved the voluntary starving to death of a member of the perfect. Um, and for this reason, most remained mere believers until just before they died. So, having discussed who the Cathars were and what they believed, uh, might you tell us, Otto, why were people so attracted to Catharism? So, it's firstly worth stressing that this is a very complex question with no singular answers. Now, historians agree the heresy was somewhat widespread in, um, in society amongst different classes, meaning there are a multitude of reasons why people turn to it. Right. Could you expand on this? I think it's very useful here to turn to a number of specific um, examples, very different to one another, where the ability of Catharism to appeal to lots of people of different classes becomes clear. Now, merchants, starting with merchants, for example. So the Catholic Church um, taught against usury in the Middle Ages, which is basically loaning cash at high interest rates. Now, merchants in their unrelenting pursuit of more capital did not like this. So they were actually then therefore enticed to Catharism um, because the heresy surprisingly did not preach against usury despite upholding a very humble life. Now, on top of this, Catharism also valued women more highly um, than the incredibly reactionary European medieval society. I'd like to here just draw on an example of one woman and her daughter who left their family in order to join the Cathars, to become full-time Cathar believers at that, um, which probably and most likely resonated amongst many similar cases. Um, I'd finally like to draw on the example of the gentry, though. So in the Languedoc in the Middle Ages, there's basically a system called partable inheritance in place, which is where a landholder, well, once a landholder dies, their territory is split amongst their heirs. So in a medieval society where land equals wealth, constantly splitting up territory and therefore decreasing it means that over time, the holders of the territory um, are increasingly impoverished. In the case of the gentry, this meant the gentry were increasingly impoverished. And as a result, a life, a life as a Cathar was not only less unattractive, but also advantageous as it was inexpensive. Many parents also simply sought to offload their children to become full-time Cathars to avoid any loss of wealth via part of inheritance for the entire family. Okay, so 
it's clear that Catharism was able to appeal directly to a wide variety of people. Turning our attention then to the Catholic Church, what was their role in the spread of Catharism? Well, in short, much of the damage was actually self-induced, with the local Catholic Church doing a lot to turn people away from their teachings. So starting with the example of the clergy, well, they were insufficiently trained in the art of preaching, and thus unable to appeal to people in the same way Cathars, who were, of course, so often highly educated, were. There were reports, for instance, of, of certain areas where people hadn't heard anybody but a Cathar heretic uh, preach. Now, it's also, um, it's also notable that the clergy became very unpopular for their corruption, which involved taking bribes for marriages, burials, and the taking of sacraments. Corruption, though, was more of a widespread issue, and not just at ground level, but the very highest echelons of local Catholic authority. So nepotism, for instance, was in full swing. Now, in this, I'd like to draw on the case of Beringer II, who was Archbishop of Narbonne, at the turn of the 13th century and was actually dismissed in 1212 out of his own ineptitude, namely in the fact he was unable basically to um, tackle Catharism. Now he was appointed in the first place because he was a son of the Count of Barcelona and related to not one but two kings of Aragon, not at all of his own merit. So what were the consequences of these shortcomings? Now. It it's best to split these shortcomings into three separate areas, basically ranked in, in order of importance. So firstly, for those who wish to live a life dedicated to God, now the substandard example which the church set meant that many would view turning to heresy and Catharism at that as the only means to lead such a life. Now, secondly, the luxurious lives of the ecclesiastics, or at least the lives associated with those employed by the church, meant the Cathars and their desire to live humble lives had a greater appeal to the common man who could identify with them. Now, it's worth stressing that the common man, whilst being most people, is not everybody. And therefore, most importantly, are the worries surrounding salvation. Now, within the Catholic Church, um, salvation is basically very dependent on the clergy. Now, people of every class within the Languedoc are worrying that their inept clergy might compromise their salvation and place in heaven, as a result turned to Catharism as an alternative. And what attempt did the Catholic Church make to suppress Catharism? Well, of course, the Cathars were eventually suppressed with the launching of the Albigensian Crusade in 1208 and the Inquisition which followed, but the heretics had at least initially been allowed the space to spread. Now, central in this was the incoherent structure of the Catholic Church, as bishoprics were allotted a budget that didn't take their size into consideration. Vast bishoprics were allotted uh, minuscule budgets, the bishopric of Toulouse, for example. Now, on this, I'd like to quote William of Puylaurens, talking about the situation which Bishop Folk of Toulouse inherited when being appointed in 1205. Quote, no one should be surprised that I should call the bishopric lifeless. I've often heard folks say, in conversation or in his sermons, that when he took up office, he could find nothing he could count on by way of revenues, from earth to heaven. 
perhaps God's purpose was to ensure that an impoverished bishop should come forward to take up the fight against heresy. So as a consequence of the combination of these aforementioned factors, I think it's fair to agree with Innocent III's declaration that the local Catholic church within the Languedoc resembled, quote, blind creatures, dumb dogs who no longer barked, unquote, at least in a figurative sense. It's worth um, stressing, though, and ending this section of the podcast by, by saying that the Catholic Church were not just to blame for the um, failure, the at least initial failure, to suppress Catharism. The Languedoc's political decentralization meant the secular rulers of the region had many more immediate issues that threatened their political authority directly to deal with. And thus, Catharism was at least initially ignored by the secular rulers. Though it should be stressed and emphasised once more, the Catholic Church at local level was mostly to blame. And that brings us to the podcast's end, where we've addressed the general background and beliefs of the Cathars and the myriad of reasons why people were attracted to them. I'd finally like to note the cliffhanger that we're leaving this podcast on, namely in concluding that Catharism's ability to attract a broad support base does not necessarily exhibit its popularity. And it's these questions which we'll be focusing on in the next episode of Heresy Hunting. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and we look forward to having you with us next time. Thank you. <laughs>